with a couple of texts real quick before we get to our guest. I hope our guest is not listening. Um, <laughs> Internet equals happiness. Internet equals porn. Porn equals happiness. Internet oh, equals please. happiness. That's one texture's disgusting formula. Thank you for that contribution. Uh, roadside memorials show that Christians are bad drivers. Wow. Wow. That's a rough joke. Wow. Wow. And uh, and this one, I, I saw a, a memorial in Peru while I was hiking on a steep trail. Came across a memorial cross with flowers. Our guide said a drunk guy fell off his donkey and down the mountain. <laughs> you know, the only thing that's kept me from that fate is I don't ride donkeys. <laughs> Good decision in retrospect. Well, this is uh, this is great. Please welcome uh, to the Armstrong and Getty Show, Bill Whalen, who is a Hoover Institution Research Fellow since 1999. He is also an old hand in politics, uh, national and California, and he's worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, former Congressman Tom Campbell, uh, former L.A. Mayor Richard Reardon, also uh, worked with Governor Pete Wilson back in the day, and um, uh, did a presentation at the Hoover Institution yesterday. Bill Whalen, how are you, sir? I'm good. I can probably say that I've never been on a donkey. <laughs> never, you know. never even once? <laughs> Sober or uh, or not? You know, Jack and I may have yeah. met at a donkey basketball game originally. Well, that was one of our early interactions. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. You know, I, I, anyway, uh, thanks for coming down for Hoover yesterday. And the funny thing, guys, I've always wondered if you actually exist, that there actually was an Armstrong or a Getty or some sort of showbiz expectation, but you two actually exist. That's true. Who would create us? Uh, <laughs> and why? So, so, listen, Bill, one of the, the, the aspects of your talk yesterday that we found so interesting um, is the idea of what it will take to get any sort of uh, conservative or even moderate thinking back into the blue states of the West Coast where we broadcast. And we don't particularly care, as you probably know, whether... Uh, it's in the, the person of a Republican or a declined to state or an independent or a libertarian or, or, or a Democrat who gets into office and changes their mind. Um, what's it going to take for some of the conservative ideals that we both like to take a little root again? I think it's going to take an event or a series of events that capture the public's attention. Uh, one mistake people make about California is they assume that what happens in Sacramento plays around the state, and that's not necessarily true. Sacramento's in many respects, respects a very big bubble, and news doesn't permeate outside of it. So the question is, what can happen in your government that people really notice? And what I mentioned yesterday was the recall in 2003. We look back on it, we think Arnold Schwarzenegger and the, and the oddity of the race, but you know what preceded the recall was at least one event uh, that did capture the public's attention, and that was the energy crisis. Remember, the rolling blackouts in California. Mm. People, people, people certainly took notice of what was going on, and they so you know, their state government. And then during the recall, it was the increase in the vehicle license fee, the car tax, where people were coming home from work and opening up their mailbox and finding a little notice from state government saying that their car tax had been doubled without their knowledge because they don't pay attention to Sacramento. So those are the sorts of things that have to get on the public's radar, I think, for them to want to uh, reexamine their government and question the direction it takes. So given the level of forgiveness that progressives get, again, up and down the West Coast, it's either going to have to be disaster or overreach by the left? Yeah, uh, what I mentioned yesterday was disaster, and I know there's kind of a hush over room when I did, because when you suggest that, it sounds like you're wishing it, and I'm certainly not. But, you know, you mentioned I worked for Pete Wilson. Pete Wilson in 1994 had to face a very big mess in Los Angeles called the Northridge Earthquake, uh, uh, January of 1994. The last really big earthquake that's hit California, by the way, but let's suppose for a second, and again, I'm not wishing that, but uh, let's suppose that a very large earthquake did hit Los Angeles. 
and shut down portions of Los Angeles. There'd be a question as to what your state government was doing in response to it. And I think that's the kind of situation that opens the door for people to examine their relationship with Sacramento. I've always been interested in why the um, uh, Republican Party, or just particularly uh, conservative ideas, because those two terms don't always go together, as we've seen, um, haven't been sold in a better way or received in a better way by Hispanics. Because, you know, you got Catholic families, religious families, the family unit is very important to them. A lot of the things that fit in with a lot of conservative beliefs. Hardworking. It's hardworking, that sort of thing. Why haven't those come together? Uh, some people will tell you that it's uh, simply Republicans just not paying enough time, not doing enough in the way of outreach, uh, of Spanish uh, media and so forth. Uh, but I think it's also the presentation Republicans make. Republicans uh, have not spent enough time talking about education, not spending enough time talking about taxation, not spending enough time talking about uh, economic opportunity. And I think also not talking enough about family values because we do think of Hispanic families in California. They tend to be very tight knit and they want, you know, classically what people in America want. They want better opportunities for their families. And so I think Republicans need to, to hone down in those directions. I know you and uh, your colleague Lon He Chen, who uh, co uh you know, authored your presentation yesterday are, are up on all sorts of data. When you look at Hispanic voters, uh, you know, the citizens, how do they feel about the immigration thing? I think there's an assumption that 98.3% of them are motivated mostly by immigration issues. No, uh, they're not. Uh, Hispanic voters are not unlike Anglo voters, and they do care much about education. They care about crime and their local well-being, and they care about the conditions that their children will inherit one day. So they're not different in that regard. The challenge for Republicans is that Republicans have been very effectively demonized, uh, going back to the Prop 187 debate in California, in that they are in the shorthand of uh, conversations. They are anti-immigrant. They are racist. They are uh, Latino-phobic, if you will. And so, again, I think this is why it behooves Republicans to spend more time having direct conversations. But, you know, the question is whether or not time is on the Republican side. On the one hand, there are more Hispanic. Uh, the Hispanic population is growing in California. Uh, you keep hearing this phrase, sleeping Hispanic giant. Will it actually mobilize and votes? It'll be very interesting to see, by the way, this primary since you have not one but two Democrats uh, running uh, for governor who are Latino, if they'll mobilize in that regard. Uh, but Republicans, I think, do need to rethink their strategy because it's just not working. And not just in California, but nationwide. We see Diane Feinstein, uh, you know, if she if she goes out the door, she's going to be replaced by somebody further left. We see other examples across the country, Republicans and Democrats, where we're getting, you know, further to the edges as opposed to further toward the middle. Is that just uh, the pendulum swinging back and forth a period of time we're going through or, or what? A bit of a pendulum, but also keep in mind that there's not just a pendulum, but this is a backswing. Uh, look at what's going on in Orange County right now, where you have at least one city, Los Alamitos, which does not want to go along with uh, the state sanctuary law. And now the Orange County supervisors are talking about defying the law. And so you might have a situation where the state is suing the uh, when the nation is suing the state over sanctuary law, the state may have to sue the county over sanctuary law. So this is, you know. Immigration policy is a Gordian knot, perhaps unlike any other in uh, in American politics, where you're talking about just so many moving parts. And, and you know, what's sad is how the political system just lets us down, that, you know, there cannot be a debate in Washington. I mean, look at, look at, look at just the recent situation in Washington. What is more simple than Trump and the Democrats doing a deal on DACA for the border wall, but yet the two sides cannot do it? Well, yeah, since you brought, since you brought up immigration, that's the one that, that depresses me as a guy. I believe in democracy, and, but obviously... Yeah. It's 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 frustrating when you see the polling on this. They're not even controversial, really, because you have two thirds or more on all the issues. 
The vast majority of people are all right with the DACA people staying. The vast majority of people want to secure right. the borders. The vast majority of people want a merit-based system. And and so why can't we why can't we make that happen? Well, two things. First of all, uh, there's a question of political gain. You look at the two parties right now in this midterm election. Uh, I'm going to pin a lot of blame on the Democrats here. I think the Democrats have made a calculation that at the end of the day, they do not want to deal with Donald Trump on DACA because why they think there'll be more punishment uh, directed at Trump without progress on immigration. So that's one short-term problem. But it's not unlike the gun debate where you can look at you know, certain items such as DACA, and that's kind of low-hanging fruit, if you will. It's when you get further down the line, you start asking questions about, you know, uh, about uh, amnesty and and about chain migration and so forth, where the two sides really do differ. And again, you look at guns, for example, where, well, doing more background checks, we're doing, you know, more money for mental health care. These are very quick and obvious things to do. But when you actually get down to the idea of, say, taking away somebody's AR-15, now people get very bothered. Bill Whalen is a research fellow at the Hoover Institution. Uh, I'd like to get back to, uh, away from the grubby politics and back to lofty ideas, the, the area I'm most okay. comfortable in. Uh, but and actually, I want to talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger briefly, because Arnold, one of the great disappointments of my... He can my... lift a lot of weight over his head yeah, when he was younger. Yeah, yeah, and that's pretty much where it ends. It, one, of the great, one of the great disappointments of, of my uh, life as a, a fan of politics... Um, but the interesting thing about Arnold was that uh, his big, his five um, propositions that he lumped together, if, and, and we talked to Gary Dietrich from Citizen Voice about this a lot back in the day, if you polled those issues, they were overwhelmingly popular in California. But he just overreached and got kicked in the, his uh, Austrian uh, parts by, by the unions and the rest of it. And then he just said to hell with it and gave up on being governor. Uh, but those ideas... Hold well. Do does California or, or Oregon or Washington have to wait for some, you know, celebrity or star or transcendent personality? And will their charm lead the voters to say, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me? And all of a sudden, we're back to being moderate. Well, yeah, you're going to need somebody charming to present it or somebody persuasive because what Arnold learned was when you get into a fight with the firefighters and the nurses and the teachers, they're the people who wear the white hats in society. And so you're going to lose uh, against them on TV. Uh, it's funny. I just uh, finished writing a piece about Arnold last night to run on the Sacramento Bee later this week. And um, I find what he is doing vis-a-vis the Republican Party very discouraging and that he is He's telling donors to not give money to Republicans. He wants to put the party on a starvation diet so it'll become more moderate. And, you know, the last thing Republicans in California need is for Arnold to be a scold or a lecturer about what direction they should go. I I wish the governor were a little more productive in his time. And I think what the governor maybe needs to think about is perhaps starting a third party in California, because if he wants to push the Republicans in a more moderate direction, he's just going to lose conservatives who will break off and they'll form their own party. So maybe he just needs to cut the chase and do a party of his own. Well, and he's, he's joined forces with that transcendent figure, John Kasich, to get this idea going. So I wish them well. So this, and that was exactly the germ of the idea for the column. And, you know, Arnold wants to be Don Quixote, and he wants to tilt at windmills. And he wants to sue oil companies for global warming. And he wants to change the wicked ways of the California Republican Party. Well, Don Quixote always needs a Sancho Panza, and Sancho Panza is John Kasich in this case. But if you go and you <laughs> Which brings us back to donkeys. Point. Right. That's brilliant, Bill. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Full circle. But if you look... You look at a poll last week in Ohio, uh, they, uh, a pollster did a hypothetical matchup of Trump versus Kasich in a, in a primary, and Kasich beat Trump in Ohio by 11 points until May 16th. Trump beats Kasich 65 to 27. So I think in terms of in terms of a mighty political force, I'm not sure that John Kasich is what Arnold thinks he is, but 
John Kasich certainly thinks that, just as Jeff Flake thinks that. And so, you know, if he wants to run against Trump in 2020, be my guest. Bill Whalen, among his many credentials, is a research fellow at the Hoover Institution. Bill, really appreciating the chat. I hope we can do this again. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming down for the presentation. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Oh, it's absolutely terrific. Thanks. Very impressive. Yeah. Smart people being smart. And common sense. There was a great deal of common sense on display. Yeah, but how does does Bitcoin fit into all of this? Oh, boy. That's the question. Uh, Sean Thomas from the Armstrong and Getty Show? Does it scale? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, we've got a late-night joke-off next. We've got uh, several of the comedians, of course, took on the Stormy Daniels 60 Minutes thing. So oh, good. We'll listen to that. You know, I'm a little surprised you didn't go with your trademark question. Do you think you're better than me? Right. <laughs> That's usually my question for anything. Yes. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll take your answer off the air. Um, so, late-night joke-off on Stormy Daniels. It's a, yeah, this, is, this is some low-hanging fruit right here. This is, this is serving up a big fatty right over the plate, so you got to knock it out of the park. Or It's an extra, extra embarrassment, I would say. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. in a second about Stormy Daniels. Um, Appropriate. <clears throat> I've been taking in a fair amount of information on the Stormy Daniels thing from MSNBC just because I kind of think, you know, if, if, they, if they're skeptical, then it's really got nowhere to go. And I mean, you know, Joe Scarborough saying, you know, this doesn't look good, the whole tweeting out the DVD and pretending like that's going to be a big shoe to drop and then not paying it off on 60 Minutes. I mean, it just looks like all you're trying to do is get clicks and viewers and build up interest as opposed yes, to just is, defend a client. Yes, that is exactly what it looks like. <laughs> and uh, somebody even asked a question on MSNBC this morning on, uh, is there anything more to this story or is it pretty much over? So, you know, it's not just people like me who are thinking that. No, no. The people who want <laughs> it to go on more than anyone are starting to think that. Sure. Well, yeah. And then come on. It was clear from the beginning, I think. Well, nah, it was clear from early on what it is and isn't. But as we said earlier, it comes down to this arbitration thing. Somebody is going to decide, a judge or a panel of judges, I don't know how it works, um, is going to decide uh, she either violated the contract in which they're going to sue her into, uh, into uh, to where she'll never speak again. <laughs> right. She can shake her groove thing all she wants for the rest of her life and never pay back the debt. Yeah. Uh, she'll be in bad shape. Or but they'll she, settle. But she'll, yeah, probably. It'll, it'll be all about just shut up. Just shut up and we won't ruin you. Otherwise, we're going to completely ruin you. Or a judge is going to decide Trump violated the contract by not signing it or something. And then she's going to go hog wild with uh, telling everybody until everybody's sick of hearing your story. She'll be on your living room couch telling you the details of the story until you're sick of it. For tips. I'm trying to watch Shark Week. Stop talking. Beautiful. What Beautiful. is it with you guys in Shark Week? I kind of like. He made me sit and watch an entire documentary about shark attacks. Well, that's because it wasn't all... at that point a business meeting. It was just watching Shark Week. Yeah, that's well, plenty. You got to watch the whole thing because all the best footage where the shark jumps up and eats the seal is they wait till the end. 
So you got to watch the whole thing, you fool. But we got some other stuff to do, but we thought we'd hear the late night comics take a shot. How many we got here? Uh, this is a three-pack. Okay, and Joe will judge them. And the bottom scorer will be banned for life from comedy. Stormy Daniels did reveal very intimate details about uh, her physical relationship uh, with the president. Apparently during climax, Donald Trump shouts, Donald Trump! <laughs> the interview covered everything. The president had sex with a porn star. She spanked him with a magazine with his face on it. He didn't wear a condom. Later they watched Shark Week. Then his lawyer paid her to keep her mouth shut. Now Trump's suing this porn star for $20 million. It's an insane, salacious tale about a sitting president and... The least surprising story I have ever heard. During the interview, uh, Daniels claimed a man threatened her in a parking lot and told her to, quote, leave Trump alone, forget the story. And to that man, I would like to say, a porn star had an affair with the future president and spanked him with a rolled up Forbes magazine. None of us will ever forget that story. Well... I give Conan an A, which is rare for Conan. Uh, congratulations, Stephen Colbert, a B minus. It was more dry commentary than a joke, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. It was dry commentary. Corden, uh, a B minus. It just wasn't that funny. And as usual, he loses a full grade oh, man. for being a foreigner. <laughs> that really hurts him every time. Therefore, <laughs> receives a C minus. Well, then stop being and a for, foreigner. Well, we don't need foreigners <laughs> taking our comedy jobs couple of sports notes for you that aren't really about sports. Well, the first one is Steph Curry is going to miss the first round of the playoffs with his hurt knee. That's a oh, rough it's his one. Knee now, huh? It's a rough one I'll for the damned. NBA, for the Golden State Warriors, huh. but just for the NBA in general. He's the biggest. <laughs> they're the biggest draw in the NBA. And uh, he's the biggest star. So. Well, I tell you what, if his knee is even slightly bothersome, I'd rest him too. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm hoping that it's more toward that. Yeah. Um, another sports-related thing, they're going to start you're going to start being able to uh, pay to just watch the end of NBA games if you want to. If it's a game you don't get, you'd be able to go on to the NBA instead of just getting the league pass or not having the league pass. Mm-hmm. If it's a game close in the fourth quarter, you could go pay like 7 bucks and watch the end of it. That's the future of sports, maybe. $7 for... It's even less or than whatever. that. Like whatever it's, it is, the 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 final number. I just threw out a number. Yeah, oh. they they haven't been figured out yet. Okay. It's probably somewhere around like seven bucks a game, maybe a uh, dollar per quarter. I, yeah, I don't know. The, it's all okay. theoretical numbers. But the point right being, now, but... you don't have to either have it or not have it. You could be following on your phone, which is a good a good realization. That's the way people do stuff. So would you get a heads up or something that there's something cool happening? Because yeah. I've always wanted that for no hitters and. You know, that sort of deal, and I realize that could be done. I just haven't figured it out. So, yeah, this is from uh, Darren Ravel, who reports on sports business, not yeah. not necessarily sports. But uh, So, close NBA game with playoff ramifications. Imagine getting a push notification to your phone to buy the last three minutes for 50 cents. Oh, it's coming. That sort of thing. I yeah. like that idea, yeah. yeah. Somebody should have done that with Duke, Kansas the other day. If you like sports at all, that last five minutes in overtime was right. unbelievable. Exactly. Great example. And I really like the low price point. Make it like buying an app. Yep. Make it couch change. Right. And and you'll get a lot of people to do it. I can do it. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? U.S. kicking out the Ruskies, open season on Facebook, and a new move that will allow restaurants to make money off you even if you don't order anything. Stories coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty. And a very exciting guest announcement coming up before the news. Wow. Okay, stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. A 
first for Stormy in 60 minutes because it had its highest ratings in 10 years with 22 million viewers. Although, I mean, I do think there's a lot of interest, but it did have the Duke-Kansas game, which had 25 million viewers as a lead-in, which doesn't mm. hurt because they got to promo the fact that the show was on a whole bunch of times. But anyway. How serendipitous. Yeah. We'll talk to Emily Jashinsky of the Washington Examiner about what was left out of the interview. Some of the details are shocking, and they actually are. Really? Also, that they left out? Why would you leave out shocking stuff? Crazy, crazy salacious. Oh, uh, too yeah. much for 60 minutes? Yeah, yeah. Too sexy. Uh, and also, if you are gifted with the award-winning fourth hour of the show via broadcast radio, you will hear us talking to the great Neil Ferguson uh, to kick off the hour. Historian Hoover Fellow, author, thinker, etc. You don't great, get great British accent. Oh yeah, handsome. And uh, if you don't get it, uh, check out the podcast. We'll have that loaded up later on today. Cool news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, President Trump has ordered sixty Russian diplomats out of the country, joining with other get Western. Out of here. Join- That's what we need. <laughs> Join- this is what he said to the diplomats. <laughs> yes. Joining with other Western nations in expelling more than 100 Russian diplomats accused of being spies to punish Russia for its alleged poisoning of a former intelligence officer and his daughter in Britain with a nerve agent. I'm as big a fan of diplomat tossing as anybody, but it is mostly symbolic. And they'll filter on back through the day. They really make the oligarchs squeal. That's what I'd like to see. Oh, in a related story, the Americans comes back on Wednesday. Yes! Yes! That's a TV show? It's a TV show. It's all about dirty, commie Russian agents infiltrating <laughs> our society. And an unlimited wig budget for the costume department. And a fake mustache budget. <laughs> yes. Right. The U.S. has also closed down Russia's consulate in Seattle. The administration saying it was just too close to a U.S. Navy submarine base and Boeing. So they said, all right, that's closed, you're out. Well, and that it, it was just an intel outpost. Yeah. I mean, that's oh, what yeah. it was. Yeah. They may have had some diplomats there just coincidentally, but it was an intel gathering yeah, It was serving the vast Russian population in the great Pacific Northwest. Mm. Yeah. Get the hell out of here! That's right. Take a stand! <laughs> investigations. Boy, we have investigations. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg will not appear before a British Parliament committee. Looking into how social media is being used and possibly misused for targeted political ads, Facebook is saying that Zuckerberg is declining the committee's summons. Instead, they'll be sending their chief technology officer or chief product officer to London to answer questions about how the company plans to protect users' personal information. I took in some great interviews about Facebook over the weekend, uh, one of them being about how Facebook is in the almost entirely unique position as a big, successful company in world history, and that it has, at least for the time being, probably reached all the customers it can reach. Um, It has several billion users. Mm. China, for instance, you know, there's a billion people right there that are, they're not allowed to be on Facebook, so you can't get them. You've got billions of others that don't have smartphones or computers, so they're very difficult to get on Facebook. So for at least for the next few years, they've got everybody they can get. The only thing they can do, I mean, that's never happened before. GM didn't have everybody driving a GM car already. Now what do we do? Mm -hmm. Uh, Facebook does. So all they can do now is not piss off their customers. That the whole business Whoops. model has got to be <laughs> right, and not either not either scare them by losing their information or wear them out with this political stuff that a lot of people hate. So they might have to change their algorithms and everything like that, and make it more about your closest friends and family 
and not have all these other people with their crazy ideas getting into your Facebook feed. They might have to completely change their model to keep it going. Interesting. The aforementioned Neil Ferguson, his book is The Square and the Tower, Networks and Power, From the Freemasons to Facebook, and his thoughts on what you should compare the current Facebook era to in history, really thought-provoking, so stay with us. Arizona's governor is now suspending Uber's permission to test self-driving vehicles in his state. A self-driving Uber SUV killed a uh, woman as she was uh, crossing the street in Tempe on March 18th. In the letter to Uber, the governor said the accident shows Uber has failed to meet Arizona's expectations on improving public safety. Well, there, there's there's some reporting out there that they knew there were problems and they forged ahead anyway because they were in a hurry to get this going. Yep. I don't know to what extent. I don't don't know that that's not true. I'm sure it is, but um, or I think it is. But no human driver could have avoided hitting that woman either. Unless they just luckily caught a glimpse of a light glinting off a reflector or something like that. Do we want higher standards for computers? I think we do. Or do we? It's an interesting question. Have a new app out that allows restaurants to charge users just to use the bathroom. Lulu app, a mobile app that, uh, for a fee, promises to direct people to the nearest available bathroom. Yes, please. And it says it already has more than 100 New York City restaurants and bars signed up ahead of its summer launch. Lots of countries have pay bathrooms. I'm a big proponent of the pay bathroom. Keeps them very clean. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, great. So America's going to have two-tiered pooping. That's the world you imagine? And it doesn't have to be very expensive to make a huge difference. I'll p- gladly pay a buck if I really need to use the bathroom to use a clean bathroom. Yeah. I think most people would. If I really need it, I'll gladly pay 10 Well, if you really need it, I, 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 you know, I'll get out my checkbook. Yeah, that's I a got to negotiating go. position. <laughs> if I really need it, you should just let me go. Because I'm in your lobby right yeah, now. Yeah, you don't want right. me in your restaurant. <laughs> You're talking tough. Uh, How's this for tough talk? <laughs> The app generates a digital bathroom pass that'll cost anywhere from $0.99 cents for a low-end bathroom to $5 for a swanky bathroom. Wow, like with marble stall dividers. That's what and, I went to in uh, Moscow. It had marble right. stalls and everything yeah. like that. It was like yeah. a, the equivalent of like a dollar to get in there. Right. But it was just a hole in the ground Oh, once whoa. you went into the very fancy right. stall. Oh, well. Anyway, the restaurant... The restaurant or the bar is going to get sixty-five percent of the fee, and they're signing up like mad. They're going to—they're—they're they're moving this out nationwide here in a couple of months. So there you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall and, Phillips. And my favorite foreign travel story when it comes to bathrooms: when I was out, geez, way down oh, south yeah. in Mexico on my motorcycle, and there was a sign that said uh, "Baños," and I needed the baños, and it said "Gringo approved." Ah, yes. All right, <laughs> and it was just um, a, a wooden wall. Like two walls, so it was just a V, so you couldn't see from the highway, and it was a bucket. <laughs> there was just a bucket on the other side of the wall. Banos. Gringo approved. What is a signal approved that? I'd like to have a word with them. Well, it's better than nothing. Yeah, was that right. the day an Ijuana beat your cojones? <laughs> <laughs> that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. So there was stuff left out of the most watched 60 Minutes episode in a decade. Apparently. Yes, there was. And Emily Jushinsky of the Washington Examiner knows what it is. Okay, we'll talk about that next. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the the nation.
The Armstrong and Getty Show. Anderson Cooper's exclusive interview with porn star Stormy Daniels, which drew the highest ratings for 60 Minutes in 10 years. Yeah, they haven't had numbers like that since Mike Wallace went undercover as a pole dancer. <laughs> oh boy. There you go. So, uh, 60 Minutes, huge ratings with the Stormy Daniels thing. I, um, they always tease the 60 Minutes Extra, where you can see stuff we didn't use. And I always assume that well, you put the best stuff in here. You had 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume you put the best stuff in here. So, you know, do I need more or not? Well, turns out apparently there was some good stuff that didn't make the final cut. Well, there was some stuff. Let's ask whether it was good or not of Emily Jashinsky, commentary writer for the Washington Examiner. And uh, we understand uh, for, uh, former roommate of our new best buddy, Gabby Morangello, who we met at the oh, Hoover yeah, Institution no yesterday. She's actually here right now. Still, oh. still my roommate. <laughs> oh, I wonder if she's as tired as I am. You know, we anyway. hang. We she hang. Is, we, I'll tell you that. we hang around the Hoover Institution all the time. Um, they just they're regularly having us in there <laughs> to ask questions <laughs> and whatnot, and so, clean clean the bathrooms, <laughs> uh, So, <laughs> Emily, the uh, the the essence of your story is the things that were cut from the Stormy Daniels broadcast that had so many millions riveted. Uh, what was cut? Well, see, this is a really interesting question, because Anderson Cooper, you know, you, you mentioned what 60 Minutes does in their little overtime segments, and Anderson Cooper had a just sort of a throwaway line in that segment where he said, I think the quote is, there were many, many tawdry details um, that Stormy Daniels provided that they left on the cutting room floor, and when Stormy Daniels' attorney was asked if he could share anything that had been left on the cutting room floor, uh, you know, he said, no, I'm, I'm not prepared to do that right now, but I can tell you she, going into the interview, was prepared to describe his genitalia um, Why? and other details. I know. So it sounds You want to hear about an I... old man's genitalia? <laughs> sure. Where do I sign up? Well, it's important she be prepared, though. She was prepared to discuss it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'd hate to be just blindsided right. with that question. Well, I'm sorry. I need to uh, get my notes out. Studies and anatomical charts, etc. Yeah. So, okay. Sorry. Sorry we interrupted you. You were on a roll. No, 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 no. Um, I, I mean, it's it's just we know just based on what Anderson Cooper said himself that they, you know, elected to leave to leave tawdry details on the cutting room floor. And I think ultimately that was probably a good call by CBS. But I do think it means that given how uh, Stormy Daniels' legal strategy, legal team strategy, has been to dominate the media cycle and to sort of drip, drip, drip everything out and a little Ew. bit to the media. That something's going to come out. Um, I think we're we're in for this description. Hey, unfortunately, I don't, I, one or the other. Look, I don't want to get caught up in the hashtag Me Too movement having this conversation with you. But if you noticed, everything seems like a double entendre when you get into this whole yeah, thing. I mean, just it is practically everything anybody says. It's in the, yeah when you're having discussions in the context of that. Yeah, yeah, it's just <laughs> it's it's tough. So and, so no more drip 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 if you could. So oh boy, stop it. So. <laughs> And and also, I know from your uh, your article that you'd said that it's entirely possible there were detailed descriptions of the various acts involved. Right. Do we know that, or is that just you know what you think? 
No, that's just speculation on my part. We don't know that at all. I think that's based on what her attorney said combined with what Anderson Cooper said because her right. attorney said he, she was prepared to describe conversations I, they had that would leave no doubt. Well, you know, and, so. come on. Anybody who's ever had a conversation with about uh, with anyone else about sex knows if you get down to describing their genitals, it's probably going to come up in conversation what happened right. with them. So, yeah, I think that's a, a fair extrapolation. Yeah, because I was interested. Some of the questions uh, Anderson Cooper asked me were just like TMZ stuff i can't figure out why because if you if you're if if the lawyer and stormy daniels are making just a legal argument look um this is hurting my career because they're calling me a liar then why do you got to ask questions like i don't know how many times did you do it or did you use a rubber or not i mean what the hell's that got to do with other, i other imagine than that question yeah yeah it's and yeah exactly and so I, I was wondering about that too and i imagine that question in particular uh, was asked because it was in an inconsistency or there was a consistency between that and what karen mcdougall said because both women have said that that trump um, did not wear a condom so i think that's what anderson cooper who had just interviewed karen mcdougall was trying to was trying to do okay <laughs> did trump watch mcdougall or watch shark week with mcdougall rather we don't I'm know sorry, that. i'm reading as i'm I didn't hear that so no, i do, love shark week don't you do, it's emily jashinsky for the washington examiner on the line do i understand that at an at some point a judge or somebody is going to decide whether or not the contract holds up and that's the key the like the linchpin to this whole thing is that the way it's going to work right yeah the linchpin is a great way to describe that um because stormy daniels you know is not supposed to be per what trump's team says is not supposed to be having these discussions in the press but stormy daniels team says that uh, it was not a valid agreement that trump didn't sign it and thus it wasn't valid and so basically there's a hearing for this and it's not set until mid-july oh in mid-july yeah another few months of this at the very least yeah how tired are we going to be of her by then and then does one judge decide that or a jury or how's that work uh, i'm not sure actually it's probably okay. a good thing that i can look into well we got yeah, till july to find out yeah there's probably a yeah, provision in the contract for how they settle disputes but uh you know i would actually like to ha- have lawyers who are listening text or email their opinion on that argument that it's not valid because trump didn't sign it even though uh she was paid accepted the money and then uh, maintained her silence for a number of years thereafter i find the the, the very argument ridiculous but uh, Emily Jashinsky, uh, we appreciate the thoughts, Emily. Do, do you see this going away and then coming back up again in July? Because there's there's no way. I mean, I, heard, I see your lawyer up on Good Morning America. They're playing clips again this morning. But he can't oh, keep this God. going, can he? No, I don't think he specifically can. I think what uh, what's really interesting is to see how Stormy Daniels kind of has opened the floodgates for other women to come out. And so I think if steadily you get more and more women that have these suits and oh, the president wow. suddenly yeah. has three suits against them or more, then you do have news coming out, you know, on a regular basis about updates in the lawsuit. Yeah, I, I, I keep forgetting that's, that's what happened to Harvey. That's what happened to Kevin Spacey. That's what's happened to a lot of people. First one, eh, it's bad, whatever. But then when you get a whole bunch of them coming out, then it has an effect. Well, right. And then yeah, America may become convinced that Donald Trump has sex with lots of women, then pays them off so they don't talk about it. What are we talking about here? This is all ridiculous. <laughs> well, you get texts every day, including today, from listeners who say these are all lies. They don't believe he's actually... I believe he's having sex with these women. I, I, I just don't care. Um, yeah, that's what, and that's where I think most people are. It's interesting to me that there's this segment of his base that refuses to believe any of it, but I actually think most people, including a lot of people who voted for him, are absolutely like, yes, I'm sure this happened. I just don't care. I want him to focus on jobs and the economy. Amen to that. Finally, a little sensible conversation with Emily Jashinsky, commentary writer for the Washington Examiner.
We're honorary Hoover fellows, so we we usually get down to the uh, the most important part of the story. Eventually, eventually, yeah. yeah. Emily, it's always great to talk. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll guys. talk again soon. Yeah. Uh don't need to hear a description of an old man's junk. Mm. Just don't want to see like a picture. <laughs> <laughs> I just listen. listen. I'm, I'm guessing I have a rough idea what it looks like. Just within the ballpark. Do you want to, so to speak? I, do you want? I just look. They taped a long interview with a professional fornicator about her alleged affair, and then the editors, the producers, Andy Cooper, they sat down. They thought, "Oh God, that part's too much. It's just too much. We're putting on a ridiculous show with a thread of significance to the nation's politics, the president, etc." We want to, let's go way down the line of more prurient than usual, but evidently there was stuff that was too far. So it was a programming decision by a former news organization that is now in the business of, you know, uh, you know the sexy stuff, the fun stuff, whatever, to keep the ratings up. Fine. We do the same thing. Well, let's call it what it is. Come on. What is it? It's just, it's, it's a, a, a poor girl talking about sex with a famous guy. It's a spectacle. That's exactly what it is. A spectacle. So again, if you get the award-winning fourth out of the show, please look forward to our chat with Neil Ferguson. I have the greatest genitalia. Nobody has better genitalia than me. It's going to make the conversation about his hands seem reasonable and dignified. (laughs) Right. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Is there somewhere I can go to not hear this? (laughs) Uh, Looking forward to talking to Neil Ferguson. Man, he is something. He's one of my favorites. Coming up next on the Armstrong and Getty Show.